There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Absolutely! Let's go! All right, let's give it a whirl. Let's do. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We're so happy that you're there. Welcome to the Christmas season. This is very, oh, well, I guess happy holidays. All the holidays of this time of year. Welcome. Uh, Yes, uh, welcome to all those in this uh, great country of ours around this wonderful world. Uh, Thank you all so much for tuning in and for your support. Uh, We are so grateful uh, that you have uh, chosen us. We know that there are many options out there uh, for your podcast uh, procrastination needs, um, and we're happy that you have chosen us uh, this uh, whatever time of day you're listening to. (laughs) Uh, So uh, the way that we do things here, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, uh, in a moment I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. She will then input that data into the back computer and out will come the astrological birth chart where all the planets moons and stars were at the moment that that person was born she will then do her best to give a uh, blind reading of that chart telling us what she can about the person's motivations characteristics fortunes of uh, this historical figure i will then reveal to her who our mystery history guest is give a little background about the person then we'll come together at the end and figure out how accurate this was at predicting what that person would do. And without any further ado, let us begin. Okay. This is a male. All right. Born on the 18th mm-hmm. of March. Yes. 1869. All right. Do we have a time? 1 a.m. Oh! <gasps> Oh, I love it when we have times. It makes things easier. All right, and where in the world? England. England. All right, and the town? Birmingham. All right. 
Let's see what we have here. Oh. Okay. Very, very nice. We have Sun at 27 degrees Pisces, Moon at 19 degrees Taurus, Mercury at 29 degrees Aquarius, Venus at 14 degrees Pisces, Mars at 15 degrees Leo, Jupiter at 20 degrees Aries, Saturn at 17 degrees Sag, Uranus at 13 degrees Cancer, Neptune at 16 degrees Aries, Pluto at 15 degrees Taurus, North Node at 15 degrees Leo, Chiron at 29 degrees Pisces, and per this birth time, we have an ascendant of 9 degrees Sagittarius. So, Mm, 1869. Very interesting. I have a feeling I will not know who this is, but maybe. Uh, this person has an interception. You see this here, Chandler? Mm -hmm. So they do not have connection per this chart, which is Placidus Houses, to their house cusp of Leo or Aquarius because they have double Taurus house cusps and double Scorpio house cusps due to this interception. Very interesting. All right. So if this time is correct or close to it, then this person has Sagittarius rising at nine degrees, Sagittarius rising makes the person very, I mean, they can be kind of, uh, very cordial, kind of, uh, boy next door. Um, they can also be kind of cool. I mean, you have a choice like Elvis, Jimmy Dean, kind of, Sagittarius rising. Honestly, James I don't. Dean. Yeah, I don't know if James Dean is Sagittarius rising, uh, but that kind of cool factor does. I, mean, I don't know. Jimmy Dean may have been pretty cool too. <laughs> sausage. Jimmy Dean also maybe he was very friendly. He maybe also had Sag rising, but um, Sag rising tend to be friendly and and neighborly and kind and gregarious uh sometimes depending on what they have in their first house they might be um they, they may have no filter necessarily <laughs> say if they have mercury inside so they might have no filter and but be very truthful and very honest um but this person has saturn at 17 degrees sagittarius in the first house so if this is correct this person has some lessons to be learned with how they come across to people. Um, it could be that they have some awkwardness. It could be that they do not look their age. 
because Saturn is time and Saturn in Sagittarius would be, it would have kind of more of a youthful factor to it. Uh, the same as it would, uh, if you had, uh, Gemini on the first house would be youthful. So there's something about this situation with how they come across to people because they have Saturn in the first house. Lessons with first impressions. It's not necessarily who they are. It's more about how they come across. Uh, second house cusp is Capricorn. They do have Mercury at 29 degrees Aquarius in their second house. But they do not have an Aquarius house cusp per this house system. So there could be some issue with communication. 29 degrees is a very powerful degree. They could have um, some issue with communication and values and valuables and how they earn money. And it could be humanitarian um, because it's Aquarius and somehow it has to do with groups of people, but they may need someone who has Aquarius placements in order to activate that. Third house cusp is Pisces, which is very creative, very creative communication. They have Venus at 14 degrees Pisces, Sun at 27 degrees Pisces, and Chiron at 29 degrees Pisces. So here we have two aspects at 29 degrees. Third house is communication. It's ruled by Gemini. Siblings, it rules siblings, um, even like transportation. And this person has Sun, Chiron, and Mercury, um, Venus there. All right, so Sun conjunct Venus is very lovely. And Sun conjunct Venus in Pisces should be very creative and imaginative and even a person who perhaps is an author or somehow uh, uses their gifts of imagination and uh, creativity also for communication. They have Chiron there at 29 degrees, which would mean that it's possible that this person could be using this Pisces spiritual aspect, the spiritual aspect of Pisces, to heal people because it's Chiron. And Chiron is the wounded healer. So from the wounds, you learn to heal. It's something very creative or imaginative or... I mean, dark side, they could be addicted to things. 
Um, but they should be very connected spiritually. Um, moving to the fourth house. Fourth house cusp is Aries. And we have Neptune conjunct Jupiter in Aries. This is a person who should be very motivated to start things and get things done. I would find it interesting if this person was using their Aries aspects for war in this scenario, unless they were very creative leader, which is possible. But uh, Neptune rules Pisces. So now we have this creative, super motivated person because it's Jupiter conjunct Neptune by degree. That's a lot of creativity and it's their fourth house. So somehow it has to do with, it can be their most inner thoughts um, very motivated to, to this communication and creativity. Um, am I even in the ballpark? A little bit. Oof. Well, it's possible that this is not the right birth time, you know? So moving to fifth house, which is ruled by Taurus, we have Pluto at 15 degrees conjunct moon at 19 degrees in the fifth house, which is children and hobbies and romance and show business and entertaining and entertainment ruled by Leo having your moon conjunct your Pluto. That is, um, that can be, uh, concerning because Pluto is death and rebirth. And here we have the moon conjunct Pluto in Taurus four degrees away from each other. So conjunct by degree in the fifth house, which is your house of children and leadership. Also, if this person is a leader, I would imagine they are a very creative leader and very powerful. And somehow some of this power comes from the mother or women because it's moon conjunct Pluto. Sixth house cusp is also Taurus. We don't have anything in that house, but Taurus on the sixth house would make for a very, very hard worker, very dedicated, not afraid of hard work, not afraid of pulling the plow. <laughs> uh, sixth house, that cusp is Gemini. And we have Uranus in Cancer in that house. We don't have any planets in Gemini, but that would put, if, if this birth time is correct, it would put this person having Gemini on the seventh could mean 
that they are either very attracted to Geminis and Gemini behaviors for a partner. They want very intellectual, communicative partner, which would be great because with this Mercury in Aquarius, uh, they would be able to communicate really well with them. But Gemini on the seventh house can also make them very uh, fickle and not necessarily dedicated to one partner, but uh, want to kind of play the field. But they would want intellectual people to be their partner. Uranus in Cancer. Uranus is futuristic. Uranus rules Aquarius. Um, so Uranus in Cancer is, I would assume, not really super comfortable there because Cancer wants to be stable and nurture and healing, emotionally healing. With Uranus there, it could be new, different, or it could be a situation where having Uranus in the seventh house just uh, ha has unexpected things happen to partners. Eighth house is Cancer, and we have Mars conjunct North Node in Leo exact at 15 degrees in the 8th house. 8th house is legacy, death and rebirth, inheritance, um, taboo things, spiritualism, occult. Uh, and this person has North Node conjunct Mars. And that is a lot of determination, leadership, possibly talent, show business, um, a legacy as a leader, a legacy as a performer. Um, here we have this creative leader creative leader, creative. You know what I mean? So ninth house cusp is Virgo. We don't have anything in the ninth house, but that would give this person a very organized way of addressing their philosophies, their dogma, even world travel. Almost like world travel would be connected to work or research, something like that. Midhaven is in Libra and 10th house cusp is Libra. People who have Libra on their 10th house cusp can be very humble while at the same time they can be really beautiful in the public eye because it's Libra, which is very pretty, and it's ruled by Venus. 
people tend to want to work with people who have Libra on their 10th house. They tend to be fair and easy to work with. There's nothing in the 10th house, but it's ruled by Libra, which has those aspects. Um, 11th house cusp is Scorpio. There's nothing in that house, but it would make this person more private. Even though they have, like there's the, the side of them that is in front of people. And then there's the real side of them, which is private. And not everyone gets to see that part of them. And that's ruling the 11th house and the, and the 12th house cusp. Scorpio on the 12th house cusp is going to give you hidden things. Um, secrets. Karma with secrets. Knowing secrets. Um, institutions. Interaction with institutions that are... Um, hidden, uh, also unpleasant, maybe. Is any of this making any sense? Yeah, parts of it. Well, how do you want to ask me some questions? Because maybe we need to go to just the planets instead of these houses. How would he uh, respond to violence? Can I get a clarification on violence towards him, violence towards other people? Uh, towards other people. I, I don't think he would be okay with that. Um, I mean, the dark side of this person could be violent, but when you have Mars conjunct North Node in Leo, and then you have Neptune conjunct Jupiter in Aries. This is a very fiery person. I mean, we have all this fire. We've got North Node conjunct Mars. This person has a temper. And then we have Saturn in Sagittarius, which is also fire. And then we have Jupiter and Neptune conjunct in Aries. There's a lot of fire in this guy. And it doesn't matter what house it's in. Is this an emotionally intelligent person? Well, it depends on if we're dealing with the good side or the bad side. Clearly, this person is going to be very emotional and very passionate. All right. They have Sun conjunct Chiron by degree in Pisces and Venus in Pisces. All right. And all of these fire signs are very passionate. So if this is the good side and we're working with the good side of these things, this person could be very emotionally intelligent. If we're working with the dark side of these things, this person could be very emotional. I have a feeling this person is very emotional either way. But in this situation, these other aspects play into whether or not they would be emotionally intelligent or just extremely intense 
and kind of scary. This person could lose control easily. There's too much going on here. And they don't have, I mean, the moon in Taurus is helpful, but usually uh, it helps to have even maybe some Virgo or some Capricorn, especially some Capricorn, because Capricorn is control. And this person has no Capricorn, <laughs> none. But they do have Mercury in Aquarius, which is also ruled by Saturn. I don't know. I don't know. How is he at reading other people? Oh, I would think he would be able to read other people if he pays attention to all of his abilities, you know, which is his son, his Venus and his Chiron in Pisces. If he's doing the spiritual good side of Pisces and not the um, irresponsible dark side, addicted Pisces, then he should be able to read people fairly well. What profession do you think he'd go into? Well... If this is his uh, correct birth time, I would think he would be a leader if he's using the highest potential of all of his aspects. He has Mars conjunct North Node in Leo in the eighth house, if it is the eighth house, he could be some sort of spiritual leader. Um, he could be a very talented performer, a famous performer. He could be a very talented communicator, author, imaginative. This one is really, uh, complicated because your reactions are not equaling what I'm seeing in this chart. So I'm not sure that these houses are correct. Uh, because what I'm getting with all the Pisces and the Aries and the Sag and the Leo is that this person is somehow a very creative leader. What kind of partner is he looking for? Again, if this is correct and we have Gemini on the seventh house. He's looking for someone intellectual. He's looking for someone effervescent. He's looking for someone who has those Gemini traits. Um, he does have moon in Taurus. So um, he also wants someone who enjoys earthy, sensual things. He wants to be with someone who enjoys these wonderful foods and uh, these lovely fabrics and all of the things that Moon and Taurus has. So someone who is also sensual and creative because his Venus is in Pisces. So he's looking for a pretty outstanding partner as far as romantic partners are concerned. If it is... Um, 
just regular like legal documents or business partners. It's it's someone who is very communicative and capable uh, and very intellectual and capable of, you know, uh, excellent communication. How would people respond to him? I think overall, depending on if this is the light side or the dark side, uh, he should be very, he should be very likable. But I don't know if everyone understands how intense he is. Maybe they do. I think that if everything is on the good side, people would like him a lot. What type of negotiator would he be? Well, I think he could be very good at negotiating. He has the ability to perceive and plan in a creative way all of his leadership. So if he's working with the light side, his mental ability with groups of people hopefully could supersede all this fire. The downside of that would be he's just angry. He's <laughs> just angry and beats people into submission <laughs> with all of his fire dominance. <laughs> How would he hold up in a crisis? I think in a crisis, he would be very good and have great stamina and leadership abilities. I think that he could rally the forces and get through it. What is his legacy? If this is correct, then his legacy has something to do with being a leader or being a very famous entertainer because it's Leo. I mean, having North Node conjunct Mars and Leo, you're going to be leading people somehow. Somehow you are utilizing this creativity, this uh, light, bringing light. North Node and Leo is destined to lead, destined to perform, destined to be strong. And then Mars is um, your direction. It's your passion. It's, it's, it's how you move forward in your life, how you obtain things. And both of these are conjunct in Leo. Maybe his um, legacy is how he, how strong he was and how he, what a wonderful leader. If this is all good, because otherwise it would just be all ego, like pompous, you know. Hopefully it's all good. And hopefully I even know who this is. I don't know. How does the interception affect that? Mm. But just with it, I mean, wouldn't that mean that it would be harder for him to access? Yes. Yes, it would. He would have a harder time accessing this North Node and Mars and 
his Mercury. He would in in Aquarius, so he would he would have a harder time. So it makes more sense with the interception. Yes, but but concluding that he is not accessing his North Node and his Mars in Leo because it's inside the interception and his house cusp. He doesn't have a Leo house cusp, and then also not having an Aquarius house cusp for the second house, but having Mercury there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and um, when we get to the end, I'll, I'll let you in on, on why I think that. But okay. I think that the chart is pretty accurate. Um, there may be some things. Um, uh, I think that there are some things that aren't necessarily very well known about this person uh-huh. that uh, seem to be be more brought to light here in his chart than they played out in his in what people knew about him uh-huh. but um that there are other other ways of reading uh each aspect yes and also sometimes you know i can just go straight to the most linear most basic aspect of a chart you know like when we did Jen Thorpe and he was fast. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, that's so easy. You just don't even think about that one. You know, having Gemini rising and being fast, Mercury. You know what I mean? So uh, maybe if I know who this person is, maybe I can get clearer on some of those basic aspects or. Um, are there any uh, final first impressions uh, just on his chart in general? Well, I really, I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm very confused by all of this, but I mean, this person could have been extremely intense and I want to say possibly overwhelmed by his own, by who he is, because he has so much, he's got Uranus in Cancer, he has all this in Pisces. Um, I just, I feel like he's just so intense. Well, I think we're ready for a summary of our findings. <laughs> uh, so this person is uh, cordial, friendly, neighborly, uh, could have no filter, could be very truthful, uh, might even be very cool. Um, lessons with how they come across and first impressions. He may have a bit of awkwardness to him. Uh, he might not uh, look uh, his age. There is an issue with communication, uh, values and valuables and money, uh, and communicating that to groups of people. Uh, he is a creative, imaginative person, and he is creative with communication. He could possibly be an author. Uh, he could heal people with communication, uh, but he also could be addicted to substances. Um, he is motivated to initiate things. He is a creative leader. He has a lot of creativity. He is a creative, powerful leader. Power comes from mother and women. He is a hard worker. He is not afraid of work. He would be attracted to an intellectual, communicative partner. Um, 
But he might also be someone who plays the field and could be fickle with his romantic partnerships. There are unexpected things uh, that happen in his partnerships. Uh, there is a determination in his leadership. Uh, he has a legacy as a leader. He is a creative leader. Uh, he would be organized in his philosophy, uh, and travel is connected to his work. Uh, he would be humble. Uh, people would want to work with him. He is a fair person. Uh, he could be very private. Uh, he has a karma with secrets. There are interactions with institutions. Uh, he is a fiery person. He could have a temper. He could be very emotional, very passionate. Uh, he could be very intense. Uh, he could even lose control easily. Uh, he could read other people rather well. Uh, he would be a leader, a spiritual leader, a talented performer, an author, someone who uses his imagination. Uh, all those are possibilities. He uh, would want an intellectual, effervescent partner, uh, someone who would enjoy earthy, sensual things with him. He is very likable. Uh, people don't know how intense he is. Uh, he is very good at negotiating. He has an ability to uh, perceive and plan in a creative way. Uh, he could be very angry and dominant. Uh, he uh, is very good in a crisis. He has a lot of stamina, leadership ability. Um, his legacy is leadership. Uh, he brings light uh, to uh, his leadership. He is very, very intense. He <laughs> could be overwhelmed by who he is. <laughs> yeah. Is there uh, anything that I've left out? No, it sounds like you've got all of it, but it, I don't know. I have no idea what we're doing. Are you ready to find out whose chart you've been looking at? I'm ready. I hope I know who it is. This is the astrological birth chart of Neville Chamberlain. He was the British Prime Minister who is most known for negotiating with Hitler prior to World War II Ooh. and letting him have the Sudetenland in Czechoslovakia. Ooh. A person who is known for his uh, wanting to avoid war at all costs and uh, the idea of appeasement, oh. that appeasement of the Nazis would be a better way to run foreign policy to avoid another catastrophic war like World War I. Very interesting. Well, I'm interested in his story because I want to see how this all plays out. So, Neville Chamberlain, he was born in March of 1869 to Florence and Joseph Chamberlain. Joseph was an industrialist. Uh, he owned a number of factories in Birmingham, um, and he got involved in politics. Uh, they come from a Christian Unitarian background, uh, which uh, was actually an illegal uh, religion up until the early part of the 19th century because they denied the Trinity. They uh, believed that uh, there, there's just God. Um, that it's not the God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus all wrapped up into one. Uh, so they were kind of a cloistered religious sect um, inside of England. Um, but by the time Neville was born, it was no longer illegal. 
Um, Joseph, uh, his father, uh, became the Lord Mayor of Birming- Birmingham. Uh, he and I'm going to talk o- over his father's career uh, first because it impacts the rest of um, Neville's uh, career. Uh, so uh, his father, Joseph, uh, became Lord Mayor and then uh, went into uh, Parliament in the 1880s as a liberal. Uh, so uh, even before he got involved in politics, uh, Neville's father uh, was known as being a very benevolent um, uh, factory owner, uh, giving uh, good wages and uh, cutting down on the work hours uh, for uh, the laborers uh, in his factories. And so he goes into the Liberal Party um, in the 1880s. But under uh, Gladstone, who was the Liberal Prime Minister, um, Gladstone wanted to give more um, things to the Irish. Uh, the uh, Irish are underneath uh, the United Kingdom at this time. Uh, they do not have home rule. They are part of the English Parliament. And Gladstone is uh, sort of working towards the idea that maybe the Irish can still be a part of the United Kingdom, but have their own Parliament again back in Ireland. And uh, Joseph Chamberlain is absolutely against this. Uh, he believes that the Irish cannot have home rule, that they must be ruled uh, from within in London. Uh, So he, in fact, breaks up the Liberal Party over this idea. Um, And that happens in the 1880s. Then going into the 1890s through to the 19-teens, Joseph Chamberlain breaks up the Conservative Party, uh, again over the idea of empire, that you can't break up the empire and that the empire is above all things. Uh, So uh, he wants to give a special treatment towards colonies, that um, he wants to raise tariffs on imported goods, uh, but not have any tariffs on the colonies to help grow the empire and make sure that the the British empire is economically sound. And this would lead to multiple changes of government and breaking up of political parties um, through into the early 19-teens. So that's the political legacy that is left uh, for his son, Neville Chamberlain. Um, uh, uh, So Neville, growing up, uh, he didn't uh, like uh, school very much. Uh, He was very shy. Um, and was more interested in artistic pursuits, um, in art and music. Um, and growing up, Joseph, the father, he had his two sons. He had Austin uh, from a previous marriage and Neville. And he laid everything out as to what was going to be the direction for these two boys. Austin was going to become the politician and Neville was going to become the businessman. Uh, so uh, from an early age, uh, they went to different schools. They went to everything different so that they could fulfill these tracks uh, of what their father had planned for them. Uh, so Austin got to go to uh, Cambridge College, uh, got to go to Trinity College in Cambridge, uh, one of the premier uh, universities in England. Uh, and Neville went to a local college in Birmingham. Um, to learn about business. Uh, But Neville didn't necessarily really like the field of business, Um, but it didn't matter. That was the track that his father had laid out for him. Mm. Um, Upon uh, graduation, uh, Joseph uh, had um, uh, arranged for a business uh, uh, partnership for his son uh, to grow uh, a sisal um, 
a sisal plantation in uh, the Bahamas. So uh, this is sort of like an agave plant that grows in South America. It had not been grown uh, in the Bahamas before, but it has a similar climate. And this was used, it's a fibrous plant, so you could use it for making rope or twine or paper or cloth or hats or all sorts of things. So the idea was to grow this on a British colony and have uh, the British have exclusive rights to it, and this would make um, the uh, Chamberlains a whole lot of money. Uh, so he sends his son uh, for the first time outside of England to the Bahamas to run this uh, plantation. Uh, it takes five years uh, for the plant uh, from seed uh, to something that you can actually harvest. Mm. So he's out there for six years in the Bahamas uh, trying to negotiate and uh, operate this plantation, and the crop fails miserably. Oh, no. Um, at the end of it, uh, he writes a letter to his father, says, sell now, sell the land. We need to get out of here. This is not... Um, not a viable crop. And so Joseph sells everything at a 50,000 pound loss to himself. And Neville returns to England. He returns to Birmingham and he uh, works uh, uh, operating as the owner of different industrial factories, which is something that he's much more familiar with than a plantation in the middle of the Bahamas. And much like his father, he is uh, sort of seen as this friend to the laborer. Um, He wants to uh, cut uh, down to a uh, uh, a 50-hour a work week and uh, pay everyone uh, good wages, um, which uh, w- was seen as quite uh, novel at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he also starts uh, with a, a lot of charity work. Um, he helps establish one of the first hospitals in Birmingham. Uh, he always has this... I, um, connection to health and wellness and um, uh, looking after, uh, using government to help look after the health and wellness of uh, the subjects uh, of uh, Great Britain. Uh, in 1910, at age 40, uh, he met uh, Anne Cole, uh, who was 27, and they fell in love. Uh, they had a shared love of the arts and music and gardening, and um, uh, a lot of people assumed that he would be a, a bachelor for the rest of his life, but um, uh, he, he did end up uh, marrying Anne Cole, they had a, a great relationship, and she was a great support system. He hadn't even really run for office at that point because his father had already laid for his older brother to be the politician, but she's sort of the one who inspires him uh, to run for office. Uh, In 1911, uh, he makes it to the town council in Birmingham uh, and starts establishing one of the first town planning schemes in the UK. Um, And uh, this would be taken on by other towns uh, throughout the uh, kingdom uh, as uh, how you lay out uh, your cities uh, for further growth. Uh, in 1915, uh, in the middle uh, or at the very beginning, really, of World War I, uh, he is elected to Lord Mayor of Birmingham, which is the position that his father held many years before. Um, and uh, as Lord Mayor during the war, he takes a pay cut. He takes a 50% pay cut uh, so that more money could be uh, given towards the uh, war effort. Uh, he and his wife hand uh, uh, made packages to be sent uh, to the boys uh, in the trenches um, uh, uh, who were from Birmingham. Um, and uh, he uh, was very... Um, 
involved in the establishment of uh, the first bank in Birmingham, um, and uh, he sat on the board of the college uh, and of the hospital. Uh, so he was really working through um, a lot of these domestic needs uh, of, of the people of Birmingham during this time, and he becomes noticed by the national government. And in 1916, the conservative Prime Minister Lloyd George uh, handpicks um, Neville Chamberlain to make him director of the National Service. So this was uh, sort of all the important things during the war uh, came under the direction of the National Service. So this is both the conscription effort, so how many men are getting drafted uh, to fill up the ranks to go and fight the war, but also war production, how the factories are doing and producing all the needs of the people at home and the munitions for the war abroad. And Lloyd George puts these astronomical expectations upon uh, what Chamberlain can be able to do to get hundreds of thousands thousands more men into the army and still have uh, hundreds of thousands of goods being produced by the factories. And these expectations cannot, could not possibly be met. Um, and so by August of that same year, uh, Chamberlain is so put out with Lloyd George that he resigns uh, the National Service and uh, starts a feud with Lloyd George that would last for the rest of their lives. Um, he then the next year uh, stands for election in uh, the uh, parliament. And uh, this is the first election where women uh, could vote in uh, England. Uh, women over 30 uh, were allowed to vote. Um, uh, and he uh, makes a calculation of going after the women's vote. Um, and so uh, he sends his wife out and puts pamphlets and posters together to try and get women to vote for him. And even though there was another woman running uh, in the election, he won the election uh, by over 70 percent. And a lot of that had to do with uh, the women in Birmingham uh, who voted for him. Hmm. Uh, so once he was in the parliament, he threw himself uh, into uh, the work uh, of being a, um, a minister there, and uh, he was a uh, in huge on domestic policy. Uh, so he was made uh, one of the chairmen of the um, Unhealthy Areas Committee. So going through the cities and finding where all uh, the pollution was and finding where um, uh, how the hospitals could be improved and all these things. Uh, he was made the chairman of that. Um, his older brother is also in the parliament at the same time, mm. but he is a staunch Lloyd George ally. And uh, there are uh, things that they try and do to try and ease this relationship between Neville Chamberlain and Lloyd George. There is even this offer for him uh, to uh, become the Minister of Health under Lloyd George, but neither one of them will accept each other's help. Uh, so uh, eventually the Lloyd George government would fall um, and the uh, 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 the liberals uh, would come in, um, and then uh, a different government was formed, and Neville Chamberlain was made uh, the chancellor of the exchequer. So that's sort of like uh, treasury, uh, working on all the money coming in and uh, how uh, the budget of the government uh, should be um, put together. Uh, he is also made uh, the postmaster general. Um, and then the conservatives, uh, they lost uh, the election. Uh, the first labor government comes together under McDonald, and then it falls apart within months. 
And then there's another general election, and Chamberlain uh, goes up uh, in a different district near Birmingham. And what's really notable about the election is that he goes up against Oswald Mosley. And Mosley would end up becoming the leader of the British Fascist Union during the 1930s. Mm Um, he, uh, Chamberlain squeaks out a victory by 77 votes, uh, and the conservatives return to power and, uh, they make him, uh, the minister of health, which was, uh, really, uh, the, uh, position that he's always wanted. And so, because he really cares about hospitals and, uh, the health of, uh, the subjects. Uh, so, uh, he is there. Uh, in that office, and uh, two weeks after assuming the office, he comes to Parliament uh, with 25 bills written, saying uh, that these are what we need to do to fix the state of health Mm -hmm. uh, in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time he left that office, 21 of those 25 bills had passed and were made law. Um, in 1931, uh, the Labor Party comes back into power, uh, and uh, MacDonald, even though they were political opponents, realizes um, Chamberlain's uh, uh, talents and makes him the Chancellor of the Exchequer again. And uh, this is 31. We're now in the uh, depths of the Depression, uh, and uh, Chamberlain is essentially uh, in charge of the Treasury during this time. Uh, So uh, he uh, follows in his father's footsteps. He says that what has to happen here is we have to focus on the empire first. Mm -hmm. Uh, We uh, cannot have free trade. We can't just let anybody trade here. We need to raise the tariffs on foreign trade to protect uh, the factories at home and protect the colonies. Mm -hmm. And he makes this stirring speech, and uh, they pass the law saying uh, that we're going to raise tariffs by 10% so that we can protect our industries at home. And once that uh, bill is passed, his brother, who had been uh, sort of a a quasi-political enemy, uh, walks across the parliament and shakes his little brother's hand uh, uh, as uh, this great sign of uh, them both realizing what their father had always wanted to do. Um, His sort of economic plan uh, to uh, combat against the Depression, uh, he really wanted to get all of the war debt uh, that England owed the U.S. uh, forgiven or forestalled, Um, but uh, FDR uh, didn't really like that idea too much uh, because we needed money too over here. Uh, So instead they agreed on a lower interest rate on all of the war debt. Um, He also uh, created the Unemployment Assistant Board. Uh, So uh, this was a welfare office to help those who uh, were not capable or were not uh, able to get a job uh, during the Great Depression in England, uh, help them uh, be able to still take care of their families. Um, And especially in the earlier parts of the 1930s, he cuts defense spending. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says uh, we need to cut down on uh, munitions and uh, boats and ships and tanks. We don't need all these things going on. We need to focus on the domestic economy. Um, if you're uh, some of you, if you ever attended a, an economics class, they have the graph of guns and butter. Uh, he was really putting everything in on butter and not so much on guns. Um, but starting in 1935, even then, he's recognizing the threats that Hitler is posing mm-hmm. in Europe, and he starts uh, putting t- more towards the rearmament things, which was a very unpopular thing. Mm-hmm. People started running against him mm-hmm. based on the idea that he's trying to fear mong 
conquer people, that there's this war coming. Ch- uh, Churchill had said the same thing, and they kicked him out completely. He was a pariah in English mm. politics uh, uh, for uh, thinking that we need to rearm and prepare for a war. Uh, so uh, that was kind of the situation of things in the mid-30s. Um, another really uh, interesting thing, we're in the mid-30s, so uh, the king, Edward uh, VIII, um, has uh, uh, fallen in love with this Hollywood actress, mm-hmm. uh, Wallace Simpson, mm-hmm. and uh, wants to marry her. And uh, the, there's this belief that the entire English monarchy would fall apart uh, if he does. And... Um, Chamberlain is one of those who convinces Edward to abdicate the throne. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, along with the prime minister, uh, goes into a meeting with the king. Uh, I think it's around the 8th of December in 1936. And uh, two days later, uh, Edward announces that he's abdicating uh, the throne and that his brother uh, George will assume the throne uh, uh, of Great Britain. Uh, so, uh, and Chamberlain's kind of involved in, in, in all of that, mm-hmm. uh, which is really interesting because then the prime minister says that he's going to stay for the next king to be um, coronated and then he's going to resign. And when he does resign, he says to King George VI that um, Chamberlain should become the next prime minister. And so uh, the king uh, agrees and calls Chamberlain in, asks him to form a government. So in 1937, uh, Neville Chamberlain becomes uh, the prime minister of Great Britain. Um, and he really saw this as now he can finally do everything that he wanted to do to fix all of the domestic problems within Great Britain, that uh, he was going to pour all of his energies into things like welfare and better working uh, conditions uh, for laborers and trying to get rid of uh, child uh, labor in England and um, uh, uh, focusing on uh, all these domestic reforms, uh, housing subsidies, rent control, um, Mm. uh, focusing on the laborers and and things like that that's what he wanted everything to be and uh what he's not completely realizing is what's about to happen uh over on the continent with uh hitler and the nazis and mussolini and italy um and uh what they have planned uh, uh involving annexation and expansion and bringing all of europe underneath their control that most of his administration uh or cabinet or however it's referred to over there is going to be dealt with all these foreign policy things um and that's what he's going to be better known for. Um, But um, we will get into all of those foreign policy things and his um, major decisions in Munich in our next episode. Uh, So uh, for this moment, uh, just based on his uh, life up to becoming prime minister, Mm -hmm. do you think that uh, there are a lot of things that bear out in the chart here? I think that we have the wrong birth time. I don't know. I I I uh I kind of don't want to get rid of of our uh, interception. Hmm. I think that it explains a lot uh, going forward. Okay, well, but this um, isn't this we'll is an see. option. So um, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you're asking what his legacy was, you know, and yeah. his legacy is, you know, for legacy you look to the it house. So I mean, I guess bringing light. Um, you know, leading with light, that, that does make sense. 
Well, that concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. Uh, we thank you so much for listening. Um, if you'd like to support the show, we have all sorts of uh, links provided in the show description. Uh, uh, links to our social media accounts, to um, our website, historyandretrograde.com. is where you can find all sorts of ways of uh, reaching out. Uh, if you'd like to have your own chart read, uh, we can make that happen. Uh, Mom can get with you about those details. And uh, if you'd like to uh, support us financially, we have a link to our PayPal account. Every little bit helps us in creating a better quality show and expanding our audience. Absolutely. And you can get to any of our locations that we can be found on the internet through our website at www.historyandretrograde.com. And you can contact me. And I'd like to just take a moment to say hello to Tymon and Nicole and Ashley um, for listening to the show. And thank you all for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. And I am open to also, if you think you might want to give a gift, to give someone uh, an opportunity to go over their natal chart, I have gift certificates available. So just let me know. Uh, yeah, this would make uh, the perfect gift as we get into the holiday season here uh, to uh, have your uh, chart or uh, send a uh, gift certificate for someone else to have their chart read. Um, uh, especially as we get into a new year, mm -hmm. there are plans that need to be made. And um, so uh, that, that all uh, could be a, a very good gift to give. <laughs> uh, as always, in conclusion, we'd like to uh, say that uh, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.